Hi, this is Kev Legs Walker, and you are about to hear a podcast of an interview that appeared on Shades of Blues here on The Cat. And there will be plenty more as we delve into the archives. Sit back and enjoy. I'm delighted to say that I'm now joined on the phone by Kid Ramos. Kid, are you well? I'm doing well, thank you. Doing very well. First question, why Kid? <laughs> well, you know, I started playing in bands when I was 15. And I was playing with guys that were older than me and some guys that were already grown men. And, and I was just a teenager, you know, so I kind of was a, I was the kid around there. And here comes that kid again with his guitar, you know. And when I got in the James Harmon band, I kind of told that story. And also the fact that my grandfather, they used to call him Kid Ramos sometimes. Some people did. And my grandpa said, you know, they'd come into his shop and say, where's the kid? You know, and he'd say, I'm right here. So... It kind of stuck, you know. James Harmon grabbed onto it, and it just stuck, you know. The music that you, you play now, how did you come by that? Because your parents were opera singers, weren't they? Yes, yes. My stepdad toured with the Metropolitan Opera. My mom was a beautiful soprano, and uh, they sang professionally. And uh, that music was in our house growing up. My stepdad played guitar and sang as well and, you know, did popular songs and songs in Spanish and in Italian and and it was just music was in the house the baby grand piano was in the living room and people would come over and play and my mom and my stepdad would sing and so you know I mean it was always music in our house my older brother was uh always buying the popular records and coming home with records and I would listen to his records and I don't know I just remember music always being around so was it your brother that introduced you to rock and roll and blues type music yeah, my brother came home with the Almond Brothers and Jimi Hendrix, Santana, and those records, and, and I really liked the Almond Brothers. I really gravitated towards that. And I remember live at the Fillmore East, Dwayne Almond saying, this is a T-Bone Walker song, and he introduced Stormy Monday, and I went, T-Bone Walker? So I had to find out who T-Bone Walker was, so I started on my search, and I found that double record that they put out of the Capitol recordings of I bought that in high school, and then immediately after that, I bought Live at the Regal, B.B. King. And those records changed my life. You know, it just had a huge influence on me. That's one thing I love when I'm doing research for the show. I I track one song, and it leads me on to another, and then another. And you can go right back to the early days, can't you? Absolutely. And that's what it was. For me, it was a journey. And I, you know, I always read. I was always into reading books and stuff. So once I started searching for these guys, I started reading anything I could about them and and trying to figure out where this all started, where it came from, and why it was the way it was. And I started going into record stores and trying to find these records. And I would buy records just based on the way it looked. And back then, you know, you're holding an album in your hands, and it's big, you know, you're looking at that thing and reading the liner notes and reading the back, and, and then I'd take it home and take the record out. And most of the time it was what I was expecting was going to be. Sometimes I was disappointed, but, you know, many times it was, uh, you know, it was like a new journey. And then I discovered all these other people, you know, it was like an archaeological uh, search, you know, for this music. (laughs) I believe your first guitar, your father, who ran a petrol station at the time, a gas station, uh, he bought that from a customer. Yeah, somebody came, where it was in downtown Anaheim on Anaheim Boulevard, which was like a main main street and there would be people coming through and there was pawn shops down the, on the same street just half a block away so people were always wandering around with stuff 
he came home with this electric guitar that he bought and I was fascinated with it, you know, started playing that. And then I think he ended up selling it or something. But a few years later, I got my own from working at the gas station. I would walk down to the pawn stores on my break, my lunch break, and look at all the guitars hanging up and dream about buying one of those. And I saved my money and I bought this K electric guitar for thirty-seven fifty. And I went home and started trying to, to master this thing, you know. It was horrible. It was a horrible instrument. <laughs> the strings were like a half an inch off the neck, but it didn't stop me from playing it. I thought, well, this is how it's supposed to be. I didn't, I didn't know really <laughs> any better. You know? So what were you trying to play then? Was it the, the pop hits of the time, or were you playing blues? I remember just trying to play like Chuck Berry or Jimmy Reed or you know, try to bend a note like B.B. King did, trying to get a sound, you know, just trying to... To, to emulate the sounds I was hearing on these records. And, and I would put the record on and try to play along with it. And, and uh, then soon after that, my, my stepdad said, well, looks like you're serious about this guitar thing. Let's get you some guitar lessons. So there was a music store in downtown Anaheim called Lincoln Music. And a young guy there who was a little, little older than me, probably five years older than me, was already really an established great guitar player in a band. And he was doing lessons a, a couple days a week down there, so I started taking lessons from him, and he saw the guitar I was playing. He goes, listen, kid, you got to get a better guitar. This thing's horrible. <laughs> so he got me a, a friend of his had a Gibson Melody Maker, you know, which is like a student-type guitar, Gibson's, you know, bottom of the line, and I bought that for $75, you know, and then I started going, okay, this is easier to play, and, I, and then I just started practicing every single day, as many hours a, a day that I could get in. Um, you mentioned James Harmon earlier. You joined his band, and you were playing up and down California, quite often with some punk bands. I can imagine those being interesting gigs. They were. It was a vibrant scene back then, you know, and joining the James Harmon band was the turning point for me because um, James Harmon was like, he well, he was my mentor, you know, in so many ways, but he... He was a record collector and he had all these wonderful records and he would make me tapes of all the different styles and I started learning all the different styles of, of blues and trying to figure out, you know, how all that stuff fit together and how I, my place in the band would fit and and I uh, just started learning and getting better at it and I actually was getting paid to do that and I, that was my only job was playing in the James Harmon band. I quit the job I had and, and I joined his band and we started playing five, six nights a week and, and at that time in the early 80s, the punk thing was happening here out in LA and there was a lot of bands playing new wave punk bands. And, and we, we kind of just fit in with the whole scene because people just, you know, they started having bands. Everybody just put together a band and they thought they could play. And some of them actually pulled it off and some of them weren't so good, but everybody was, was out doing it. And there was clubs everywhere. It was lots of gigs. You know, we'd go open for the blasters or for X or, you know, different bands like that that were around. And, it just was a really vibrant scene. One thing I quite often ask people is when you're performing with and for somebody like James Harmon, what did you take from him? What was the, the biggest thing that you took from him? Was it how to work an audience or stagecraft? Both, actually both, you know, plus the learning of the music because I didn't have the foundation that he had. You know, he, he grew up in the South and he was, you know, he was in high school in the 60s and, and, and so he... He had all these records that he was buying since he was a kid. He had all these blues records, and then he became a record collector, coincidentally, just from from that. And he had bands in uh, in Florida and all in that area back then. 
kind of a contemporary of the Hourglass with the Almond Brothers were in that band, Dwayne and Greg. And, and he kind of you know, moved out to California then in the 70s, had the Ice House Blues Band. And basically, he just he was collecting records, you know. And back then, you could find records for almost nothing. He met Bob Height of uh, Canned Heat, and Bob was a serious record collector. And they would go to these record swap meets and stuff and start buying 78s and stuff. So when I met James, he had this room in his house that was all records from the floor to the ceiling. You know, one whole wall of 78s and 45s, and a lot of them said Jimmy Harmon on them because he was a kid when he started buying these records. Mm. So he'd, you know, take his lunch money and buy records in, instead of eating lunch, you know? So yeah. that was really the, the breaking point for me because then I started hearing all this stuff, and he would explain to me, well, listen to this, you know, this is a different style than, you know, East Texas or, you know, West Memphis or you know, whatever. It was all different styles from different areas. So I started trying to glean and absorb as much as I could. And then, uh, of course, Hollywood Fats came into the band, and then that was a whole other launching thing for me as well because he was already, he had already played with all these guys. He was in Muddy Waters' band when he was 18 and lived at Muddy's house, you know, and he played with Albert King and J.B. Hutto and Jimmy Witherspoon. He was in all these people's bands. So he was like a a living walking encyclopedia of, of guitar styles, you know? So I, I, I stood up on stage with him for years and, and tried to figure out where my place was going to be in this band and, and try to do some soul searching and find my own identity. There's one thing you touched on there, the, the various styles of blues. You've got the deep South, you've got Chicago blues, you've got country blues. And some people who aren't as familiar with the genre have a set idea, but it's so much bigger than that, isn't it? It is. It really is. And that that opened up to me when I met James because he had all the records and we could listen to him. We'd sit in his record room and play records. He'd even have barbecues and all these people would come over and, you know, John Doe and Xene or all these different people, Phil and Dave Alvin, and, and we'd have these record parties, you know, and some people would leave and by the end of the night it would be just four or five of us sitting around this turntable listening to these these wonderful records. You know, we listened to test pressings that he had of, of Robert Johnson, you know, it sounded like he was in the room with us, you know, yeah. it was like a religious experience really. And yeah, I mean that you, when you realize how much is out there as far as blues, it, it's, there's so many different styles. And so, like you say, there's the country blues stuff and of the Delta stuff. And then, you know, of course that's like muddy waters. That's where he started on Stovall's plantation, those recordings. And then of course he, he moved to Chicago and invented electricity, you know, yeah. So then it became a, a whole other thing. The Chicago blues became a whole thing in itself. But at the same time, you had people in California with bands with horns, you know, and uh, playing like jump blues with T-Bone Walker and, and uh, you know, the whole sound that's completely different from Chicago blues. So I tried to absorb a little bit of all of it. One thing I've been doing on the show this year to demonstrate how international the, the blues is, is chatting to people from around the world. And you've got people in Brazil, Nepal, Turkey, and they put their own little stint on it as well. So it's it's ever-evolving. It's amazing. It's amazing, and hopefully it does evolve, and hopefully it stays alive because, you know, I mean, my son has a band. My, my son Johnny has a band with him, he and Jaylene, and they're young people, you know. She's only 19, and they're playing music from the 50s and stuff, and... and and they play these shows, and I'll go and sit in and play guitar with them a lot of a lot of the time. But 
there's no young people coming out to see this stuff. You know, it's just older people my age or just a little bit younger or a little older. And it's really unbelievable that people don't understand that live music is out there. You know, it, young people, I don't know what they're doing, but they need to get out of the house and get away from the computer and go out and experience live music because it's a language that's going to just kind of go by the wayside if we don't get more young blood and in, in, injected into it, you know? Yeah, well said, sir. Well said. Well, when you left James Harmon's band, you briefly joined Room Full of Blues, but then you took the rather bold decision to step back from the music business and concentrate on raising a family. Yeah. Did you intend to come back to music after that, or did you decide, no, this is, I'm, I'm just raising a family and that's it? No, I never stopped playing music. I never intended to leave music completely. I just, I, I you know, I met uh, the woman that I was to marry and and fell in love and we're, we're still together all these years. And, and that, that changed my life. You know, that relationship changed my life. I wanted to settle down and, and have a house and, and have kids. And, but I never stopped playing music. I, I still kept playing music. The Room Full of Blues thing was, I didn't really join the band. I only played a, a couple of you know, little tours with them because um, at the time, well, you know, I had met Greg Piccolo and, and I knew, uh, you know, Ronnie from when I was in the James Harmon band. And uh, it just kind of, when he left the band, he told me they were going to ask me to replace him. And, and Greg Piccolo asked me to replace, you know, Ronnie Earl when he was leaving. And I, and at that time I just got married and I was not, I wasn't in the, I couldn't just see myself moving to Rhode Island and doing that, you know, it just wasn't the right timing for me. But they uh, they ended up getting Tommy Kay, and then Tommy fell and broke his shoulder, so they asked me to come and fill in for him. So that's what I did. But I never stopped playing. Uh, then, you know, Linwood Slim moved back here from Minnesota, and, and Slim and I started playing together, and Janova Magnus and I started playing, and Juke Logan, all the people that were local out here, uh, Lester Butler, all these people I was playing with locally. I, I never really stopped. Even I was working a day gig, and I would come home, get dressed and go to the gig and come home at like, you know, two, three in the morning and then get up the next morning at five or six and go to work. You know, it was rough, but I never stopped ever playing. What was the impetus or inspiration to record your first solo album in 95? Well, you know, I was playing with Slim, Linwood Slim and I were doing shows and uh, Jerry Robb approached me from Black Magic Records out, out in the Netherlands. And so we just, went in the studio and made that record in a couple of days, you know, and, and then that kind of was the very first solo record I did. And from there, I tried to put something out almost every year. And uh, Too Small to Dance was another one Slim and I did, the big rhythm combo. And, it, you know, it just kind of went from there. And then uh, I think Blacktop picked that up and released it in the States. It was a journey <laughs> that, well, that I'm still on. It was around about the same time, though, that uh, Kim Wilson asked you to join the Fabulous Thunderbirds, didn't he? Yeah, then that that happened, and you know I'd met Kim when I was playing with James Harmon. Uh, Kim came to one of our shows, and James invited him on stage, and Kim came up, and and Kim stayed up the whole rest of the set, you know. And it was like I had seen the Thunderbirds in the late '70s, you know. I saw them. I, I went back east to help a friend of mine move back to California, and we went to to uh, into Georgetown to find this jazz club. I was trying to go see Sonny Stitt the great bebop sax player, and we never could find this club. We wandered all over Georgetown, never found it, and my friend said, hey, let's go over here to the bayou and see who's playing. And it said, appearing tonight, the fabulous Thunderbirds. I'm like, I've never heard of them. 
the first record I think had just barely come out or was coming out right after that. This was in the late seventies. So when I saw the Thunderbirds, I was like, Oh my God, this is, this is unbelievable, man. This is, this is what I've been, you know, dreaming of. And I was before I was even in James Harmon band. So that was a big influence. Jimmy Vaughn was a big influence on me. I mean, Jimmy Vaughn was the, was just, he embodied the whole hip guitar player thing. He looked cool. He played cool. He was just, he, he had exuded coolness, you know, and, and he spawned a whole lot of guitar players that try to emulate him. So that was another, another turning point as well. And then later on when I was in James Harmon band, I actually met Kim and I would go see those guys. And, and then, uh, 95, the opportunity to, uh, join the Thunderbirds came up and it was like, well, that's, that's something I can't refuse. You know, mm. Jimmy Vaughn's great, man. I, He's just a what a great guitar player and a stylist of his own. He's got his own style. You can't deny that it, when you hear it that that's who that is. You know, mm. it's Jimmy Vaughn. So I mean, to me, I just um, all it seems like every seven years there was some kind of a turning point for me. It, <laughs> it just happened there like that. You know, I was in the James Harmon band seven years. I kind of wandered in the wilderness for seven years, and then I joined the Thunderbirds, and I was in that band for seven years. So I don't know what's going to happen next, but, you know, it's, it's, it seems like every seven years something's going to happen for me, you know. Over the years, you performed with numerous people, including hooking up with the Manish Boys at one point. What is the most memorable performance that you've done? You know, I have to say one of them, I, well, without a doubt, I'd say with the Fabulous Thunderbirds, we opened for Carlos Santana. And I was, when I was a teenager growing up, you know, that Oya Como Va was like the Chicano national anthem, you know? I mean, mm. that song just was everywhere in my neighborhood, and I just loved Santana. We actually opened for him in, in uh, this festival in, uh, I think it was Birmingham, Alabama, in the street. It was like thousands of people, and, and we're playing, and I look over on the side of the stage, and Carlos Santana is standing there watching me play. And it just gave me goosebumps, you know? And mm. Then, you know, then, of course, they came up after us, and I was standing there watching him play. I just, you know, in awe on the side of the stage. And, and uh, there was a break in the, in the set where the song broke down, and it was the drummer and the percussionist and organ player. And he walked over to me and hugged me and told me, he said, hey, you play from the heart. And that was, like, unbelievable to me. Unbelievable. Yeah. Wow. In 2014, you received the Owens County Music Award Lifetime Achievement Award. Receiving that award was tinged with a certain emotion as well, wasn't it? Because you made an announcement. Yeah, I had been fighting cancer. You know, I went through a lot of chemotherapy and and radiation and everything. And they, you know, they called me up, and it was a friend of mine, Jim Washburn, who used to write for the Register, and he he was a friend since the James Armband Band days. And he called me, and said, "Hey, they want to give you a lifetime achievement award. Do you think you're going to be alive in about six weeks?" <laughs> you know. <laughs> tongue-in-cheek you know kind of funny i said well i hope so i, I i'll make it out there uh you know for sure i think i'll be around it it was kind of funny how you have to know his sense of humor but mm. it was all in good good fun you know tongue-in-cheek but yeah i was kind of amazed that they they gave that to me i mean it was emotional for me because i had my dad there and my brothers and my wife and my kids were there it was it was very emotional you know yeah well, you mentioned Johnny earlier on, and your 2018 release, Old School, features Johnny on a couple of the tracks. Did yeah, that's you, Johnny's first, first, for his first time singing on a record. Did you ask him, or did he put himself forward? No, I asked him, you know. 
and and he you know he doesn't he's not pushy like that johnny was he's very you know humble and everything and and i said hey johnny this, why don't you sing a couple songs this is your chance to sing something and and he he just got up there and did it you know like a man you know and he had just had his first band of a bunch of teenagers in our neighborhood the colony boys and they they got to do some gigs and they did really well and the one singer went on to be one of the Mouseketeers uh, for the Mickey Mouse Club, <laughs> and uh, they they were just great. The kids were really talented and stuff, and so that was kind of Johnny's introduction. And I, I would never push any of my kids into into the music business or to, you know, any, but Johnny has a passion for it. It's it's Johnny's. He's driven him. He just loves music. He's writing songs all the time and singing, and he's got his own band. And so that was kind of the beginning for him as far as recording, you know. So. So when they're producing music, making music, or whatever, do they come to you for your opinion? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I, they, when his first band started, they would practice at our house. Pretty much everybody practices at our house, all of his bands. So, you know, I would come down and say, well, why don't you try this or why don't you try that? And and then I I produced the first Johnny and Jaylene CD, and they just went in the studio a few weeks ago and did another 12 tracks for a new CD, and I played on it, and I helping with uh, producing but johnny's coming into his own he's got his own ideas about stuff and i just let him do his thing you know i'm not trying to you know tell him you got to do it this way I, I give him suggestions and then he's got his own mind you know so well i was going to say you you said that you wouldn't be pushy you wouldn't push your children into the music business but you can offer words of wisdom surely yeah absolutely i do i, I always give them my opinion and i tell them what i think and most of the time they re they take my advice they they respect me and they 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 listen to me but you know you have at some point you have to let them you know go on their own and do their own thing and find out by trial and error what works and and everybody has their own mind but Johnny's got his own mind about things and he has really good ideas too so it's a process well, you say that they're just finishing off a, a CD which uh, should be coming out so what are you up to at the moment well, you know, I have this band, The Proven Ones, that, that uh, we did two CDs, and then, of course, the pandemic hit and kind of put the brakes on everything. Everybody lives in a different state, so it's it's difficult. We don't really get to get, get, get together and get to do too much because Jimmy Bott, you know, he lives in Oregon. Our singer, Brian Templeton, lives in New Hampshire. Willie J. Campbell lives in Missouri. So, you know, we would get together and fly in and do these dates, but then everything kind of got put on hold. So we'll see what happens with all that. But we, we put two CDs out, and uh, I'm proud of them. I think they sound great, but I don't think that many people know about the band. Were you promoting them as the pandemic hit, or were you in the process yes. of doing the next one? Yeah, well, we did We did uh, one CD before that, and we did a few tours and went to overseas and did some stuff and some festivals in the states and then we just recorded the second cd at in uh, louisiana with mike zito producing it on gulf coast records and it, as soon as it came out the pandemic hit so that cd i don't think anybody's had an opportunity to really hear it or you know we didn't have any chance to go out and play and promote it we just recently went back to brian's farm uh, in new hampshire and just played some gigs around the town there, and we recorded a couple more tracks out there in Boston, and uh, that stuff's still not finished or mixed or anything, so I don't know what's going to happen. It's hard to say, you know? Well, this is one thing that has... It's sort of become apparent with people I've spoken to in recent months. You can't really plan too far ahead, 
because we could go in lockdown again at the drop of a hat. Yeah, nobody knows. I don't think anybody knows what's going to happen. I mean, you know, I'm I'm busy with my life here in California and my son and his band, and I have great musicians around here that I can go play with. So, you know, I'm not ever going to slow down as far as that goes, but as far as touring, it's, it's up in the air what's going to happen with that. Mm. And then, of course, the Johnny Tucker CD that just happened, you know, uh, that's another thing, you know, and then Johnny Tucker's not really able to go out and travel anyway, so... So you were saying that you played a few new tracks recently. So is there another CD on the horizon? I hope so. I hope so. Again, I don't know. I don't know because everybody's in different states and different frames of mind. And we'll see. I mean, Willie J. Campbell has been my friend and, and like my brother for so many years. He was in the James Harmon band when I met him. And we played in that band together. We both left that band at the same time. Then when I got in the Thunderbirds, I brought Willie in, and Willie was in the Thunderbirds with me for years. And then he, I brought him into the Managed Boys, and then uh, you know we were all together in the Proven one. So me and Willie have a, a relationship that goes back years, and we're still playing together when any opportunity arises. He's coming out here this month. We're doing a tribute to James Harmon and uh, Willie J. Campbell and Stephen Hodges, who was the drummer in the James Harmon band. We're going to play together, and we're going to play with Rick Estrin and whoever else shows up at this thing. Rick Estrin's playing with his band, the Nightcats. So that's going to happen this month in a few weeks, just right before Thanksgiving, and it's opportunity for Willie and Stephen Hodges and myself to play together, which we haven't played together. And In fact, he was in the Thunderbirds too, Hodges, for a short time. So uh, it's it's kind of a reunion of sorts. And, uh, you know, he went and played with Mavis Staples for years, and, and uh, he played with Tom Waits and everything. So it's going to be a really great show to see those guys and play with them again. Hopefully things do improve to such a degree that you can tour and maybe come over to Europe sometime we get to see you again. But to, to I would love that. Thank you for taking the time out to do this and uh, I hope we can do it again sometime. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. And I hope you enjoyed that little interview there and there will be more as we record more for the show and we are going to delve into the archives and pull some of the old ones out as well. So plenty more to come. And of course, if you want to hear the whole show, there is always Listen Again. I'll see you next time. Take care.